I hate COVID-19. <laughs> I, uh, I hate what it's done to you. I hate what it's done to me. I hate the fact that it's killed over five million people around the world, including a million here, including my mother. Like, I hate COVID-19. I hate the fact that the last view that Amy and I have of my mom was over a video link with a nurse, and I am grateful for her, but she was dressed up like an astronaut. Mom's in a uh, nursing home. She had other things going on, but at the end of the day, on her death certificate, it said, cause of death, COVID. I hate what COVID-19's done to the medical community. To nurses, doctors, pharmacists, scientists. Secondarily, I've had a front row seat of sorts to the toll and there's many of you here this morning. I hate the fact that it's robbed us of so much. I mean, as a youth pastor, I've definitely had a front row seat to all that. Missed school, missed proms, missed graduations. Tore our hearts out to cancel Jackson, Mississippi. If ever there was a summer, a couple of summers ago, to go down and do a deep dive into racial reconciliation... That was the summer. It was all put together. We had the airline tickets bought, ready to go. I remember calling one of the mission groups down there, telling them we can't come. And she cried. And so did I. It made no sense. I hate COVID-19 for the wedge that it's driven in so many of us collectively over masks, over vaccines, politically, thousand ways, thousand divisions, we humans are good at that, of driving wedges. But in many ways, COVID-19 has just sort of accentuated that, it seems to me. For all the reasons I, and I would imagine you, hate the fact that COVID-19 was unleashed, and who knows how it came, who doesn't matter. It, there's one thing that stands out above all else, it seems to me. As I thought about it. And it is the fact that it's brought fear into the human heart. I'm convinced that fear is the greatest toll of COVID-19. And by fear, I'm referring to something very, very specific here. If you remember back, if you've been around, Jeff Ebert did a series on fear, anxiety, and all the rest, and delineated Jeff Lee early on, has addressed fear. So it's certainly at the forefront. And I imagine you might agree with me that of all the things that's done damage at the hand of this little virus, it has been driving fear into the human heart. And again, by fear, I'm referring to something very, very specific here. I'm, I'm referring to, I mean, how do you describe it? Like the what-if fear. That fear can paralyze and cause you to do things you normally wouldn't do. It can rob you of your joy. Now, sometimes fear is warranted. If you go out to the parking lot this morning, and there's a big Jersey Brown bear out there, you better have fear. 
and react accordingly. You know what I mean? But there's another kind of fear, and it's sitting here this morning worried about the fact that you might go out to the parking lot and encounter a bear, and that's causing you to be distracted. It's causing you um, to not really be here with us this morning because you're worried about the what-if fear. And that fear uh, can ruin your life. Listen, COVID-19 has and continues to be a very real and a very dangerous bear. I mean, it is, and it was. It has destroyed so much, and we need to continue to take it seriously. And we need to support and stand with and pray for and cheer on the people who are on the front lines, many of whom are here in our fellowship. Again, medical workers, scientists, some of the top COVID fighters in the world are part of our fellowship. And we need to be grateful for that. But I'm convinced that COVID has become that what-if bear that is, is ruining many of our lives and, and paralyzing us, and maybe even at times collectively as different ministries and as a church and as families. I imagine you, like me, have seen it in people's eyes, that paralyzing fear. And maybe it's COVID, maybe it's the weariness, maybe it's other things, but to have seen it. I was out and about Friday, and I just kind of like stopped in the store I was at, challenge you to do this, and look above the mask into the people's eyes. And there's enough there to register some real, some real sadness and, and so much more. Like, the face is so expressive, especially the eyes, even with, that, with a mask on. And if that's you, if when the alarm clock goes off these years into this, if you want to call it new normal or whatever it is, I don't think it is a normal, um, and you just go, ugh, ugh, I don't, I, don't know if I, can, I don't know if I can go on like this. If that's you, you need to know you're not alone. You know what I mean? Like, we get that. And, and you're definitely not alone. And more importantly, God gets it. Like, he understands, he understands like, COVID-19 didn't sneak past God. You know what I'm saying? And all that's been lost and all that's happened over the last year um, didn't sneak past him. We don't understand. How do you understand so many things in this world? But he does, and he's not surprised by it. And as a result, he has given us one of the great themes in all of Scripture from the very beginning right up to the very end. He has made a warning about the dangers in life, one of the central themes of Scripture. You cannot read two pages of Scripture without running across some super dangerous stuff. I don't know if I was going to write a book and I was God, which is a good thing I'm not, but if I was, I don't think I would put all this, I would put all these cheery things in it 
But that wouldn't mean the same to us. You know what I mean? Butterflies and rainbows, that's nice, it's cute, but that's not real. One of the powerhouse themes of Scripture is the fact that God jumps into the mess with us. And he does it very personally, from the very beginning of Scripture. We live in a dangerous world, and that is one of the great themes of Scripture from the very beginning to the very event. Now, some of those dangers are man-made, man's inhumanity to man. And we shake our head, and then we look in the mirror and into our hearts. Other, other dangers are natural, accidents, storms, lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. You know? Others are from the hand of Satan himself. And that's no fairy tale. If you're an observer of humanity, of this world, Satan's no fairy tale. Jesus encounters him. He talks to him. He talks about him. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion, Scripture teaches, seeking someone to devour like you. The world is a dangerous place, but there's hope. I mean, listen, there is hope because there's a second theme that runs. You can't read two pages of scripture without encountering this, and it supersedes the first one. Yes, the world is a dangerous place, but there's another theme that supersedes that much, much more. It is hope found from the beginning to the end of Scripture. And that hope is this. God is with us. God is with us. Yeah, things look rough. They are rough. But I'm with you. God is with us. In the midst of the danger, he is, he is there. That is the superseding theme of all of Scripture. And it's captured so powerfully, again and again in Scripture, but especially in this iconic verse. And you know it. And you've quoted it before when you've been super scared. I remember about midnight down on the south side of Chicago, walking through a neighborhood where I was doing ministry, quoting this verse as I walked under a, a bridge. And I was saying it out loud. And some dude was over in the shadows and looked at me and like, are you talking to yourself? Yeah, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, it doesn't get much more dangerous than that. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me, God. You are with me. I, I know you are. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I know you are with me, and so I will fear no evil here. I will not worry about the bears that might be out in the parking lot to hurt me. And if I see one, I'll deal with it or run away, whichever the case may be. But in the meantime, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, God, I know you are 
with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I need comfort in the midst of all this. God is with us. Even when we don't know what to do, he's there. Even when we don't think there's hope on the horizon, he, he is there. Even when we don't want to or think we think we never can, he is there to walk us through it. Even when we fail, he's there. And even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death itself, God is with us. Seems to me, I, I, I don't know if you've felt this, but sometimes I think I hold on to my fears as sort of like a little security blanket. You know what I mean? Like I'm not in denial that I'm not scared of stuff. It's there, and sometimes I think I hold on to it as like a little security blanket that maybe I can manage my fears if I hold them close. But the fact is, I don't think I can. I need to let them go. That is a theme again and again in, the, in Scripture, to let our fears go and to rest deep into the Lord. And so they do need to go. And one of the great verses that just unpacks that thought so much that we would let our fears go into him is written by the prophet Isaiah when he says, it's one of the great verses. If you get nothing out of this morning, grab this verse and write it on your heart. Do not fear. Easy for you to say, Isaiah, do not fear. And if you put a period after that, what? Do not fear. But look what comes next. Do not fear, and this is God's voice, not Isaiah's, for I have redeemed you. And then it gets even better. I have called you by name, and listen to me. You belong to me, and I am a jealous God. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I've called you by name. I know you personally. And you belong to me. And that's God talking. Do not fear. Why? Because God has redeemed us. He has obliterated that which separates us from a righteous, perfect God. Do not fear. Why? Because he has called us by name. He's made this personal. And as a result, he has more at stake regarding your life than you do. So you think that you're on this on your own. He created you. He redeemed you. He knows you. And you belong to him. Do not fear. Why? Because ultimately, we do belong to him. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I've called you by name, and you belong to to me. That verse perfectly captures the interplay between the two main themes of the Bible. The danger and the fact that God is with us. The dangers and the incarnation. That verse from Isaiah perfectly also captures the heart of my favorite psalm. Psalm 91. Psalm 91. Man, if you haven't been introduced to Psalm 91... May today be the day that you grab a hold of Psalm 91. I mean, the Psalms are awesome. How great is it that Jeff has chosen to preach through that 
a number of psalms and a number of themes now. So awesome. And then he throws 91. Hey, Mike, you want to preach uh, in a week? Yeah, sure. What? Psalm 91. I go, are you kidding me? Um, I love that psalm. And if you don't know it, if you don't have it tucked away in your heart, may today be the day. I don't have enough time to read it to you. I was going to, but the clock's running back there. So please, please, if you have a Bible, turn to Psalm 91. If you have a phone, turn to Psalm 91. You have my permission to take your phones out. Um, I thought this morning at the last second I should photocopy a whole bunch of copies of Psalm 91 so you could write stuff down. But um, please turn to Psalm 91. Psalm 91 is nothing short of a scriptural tour de force that lays out this incredible interplay between those two primary themes that I was talking about a few moments ago. The danger of the world and the incarnation, the fact that God is with us. Those two themes stand in opposition of each other in so many ways, like like two heavyweight boxers. And that's the beauty of Psalm 91. It's the beauty of all of Scripture. The world is a dangerous place. There's a lot of things that could take you out. You better be careful out there. God is with us. I know it's, it's, it's dangerous out there, but I am with you. I, I have this. I, I have you. It's like Muhammad Ali and Joe Frazier, and it all comes to, to a powerful, illustrative place in Psalm 91. Psalm 91 stands as so incredibly powerful. There's nothing short, as you read through Psalm 91, nothing short of a cosmic battle for your heart and for your soul and for your mind. Psalm 91. Psalm 91, as you read through it, you notice a lot of repetition. It's, it's in many ways sort of four main lists. There's a list that starts off, and it runs all the way through, but especially at the beginning, it lays it down. There's a list of attributes of who God is, and that's a great place to start. Who is this God that promises? Can he deliver on his promises? Well, this is who he is, the attributes of God. That runs through Psalm 91. And then secondly, there's another list, a list of very specific dangers. And it makes sense in the culture in which they are, but it's incredible that it cuts through all the way through the centuries to our culture as well. A list of dangers, symbolic and real dangers. And then third, there's a list of what God hopes our responses will be to him. What does he expect of us? We, we have a dog in this hunt. Like, this isn't just God pouring water down on us and tamping out the fires. He expects a response from us, and that list is in there in very specific terms. And then fourthly, there's a list of his promises. And they're all started with this powerful expression, I will, I will. And when God says he will, I mean, take it to the bank, you know? Those four lists kind of run through. If you have time later and you have a physical Bible, um, kind of do some little squiggles around that indicate those four. Find those things in there. I'm going to rattle them off here to you, but I hope this is just 
an hors d'oeuvre into falling in love with Psalm 91. It'll carry you through Psalm 91. It's interesting that the psalmist begins with God's attributes. Who is God? And who is he? Opening statement. He is our shelter. He is our shelter. What, as you hear these words, what do they conjure up in your mind, in your heart? How do they make you feel? He is our shelter. He is our home. He is our place of safety, dependability. There's outside the shelter, and then there's inside the shelter. Inside the shelter is a good place to be, where we dwell. And there we are not alone. We are with him inside this shelter. And then the psalmist describes above the shelter a shadow. He casts a shadow over us, this wing of protection over you, watching over you. And when you're in the desert place, a shadow is a good place to be. It's a place of refuge and, and, and again, safety and, and peace. It's there in the shelter shaded by the presence of God that we find refuge and safety and a haven from the pursuits and danger. The psalmist goes on to describe God as a fortress. And not just some, any fortress, but an impenetrable fortress, strong and mighty. And there we find our shield. And he talks about ramparts, which I wasn't sure what that was. And there's a bunch of different uh, examples of what it is, but primarily it's a second wall around that. Like, nobody's getting to you. Nobody's getting through. Nobody's sneaking through. That you are safe back in this space that God has made for you. God is a faithful shelter, dwelling place, a shield, a refuge, a fortress, strong and mighty. Listen, do you believe that? Do you believe that? Is there really a God that is all of that in your life? Or are you trying to Hack it alone. You can't. Like, who could? That's why there's so much anxiety and depression and fear and all the rest. I mean, either, either that's real and tangible or it's not. And if it's not, <laughs> you know, God says in his word, that he is a faithful shelter, dwelling place, shield, a refuge, a fortress, strong and mighty. Have you experienced that? Do you know that? Those things are critical because of what is described in Psalm 91 next, another list. This list of dangers includes a snare laid out by a crafty and cunning hunter. There is one hunting for your soul. There is one that wants you separated from a perfect father forever. And he is good at what he does. He's not stronger than Jesus. Jesus has proved that. But he's a force to be reckoned with. And he's real. You cannot be a student of humanity and of history and of the present state in which we're in and not know that evil exists. It exists. And it has a personality and it has a cunning. And it's described here as one laying out a snare to take you away. Deadly pestilence and plague. That's actually mentioned twice in there. And over the last two years, we've come to know a lot about that. You know? 
late night terrors, i.e. nightmares. I don't know about you, but way too often. I wake up and I go, oh, man, that felt so real. I'm so glad that's not real. Nightmares, night terrors, you know? And for some people, those nightmare, night terrors are while they're awake. And that may be you. And so again, this is a, this is a graphic portrayal, this list of how difficult life is. And then it talks about arrows that fly by day, pestilence that stalks at, at night in darkness, destruction that lays waste at noon, morning, daytime, noon, nighttime. It never ends. It never ends. It never ends. And so the alarm clock goes off again. And so we stumble along, the psalmist writes, striking our feet against stones. And when we look up, stumbling around, there's lions, there's cobras. Like it just gets worse and worse and worse. Amy and I have spoken on Psalm 91 a number of times at couples conferences. I've used this for high school retreats. I've often entitled the weekend retreat, it's a jungle out there, you know? And, and physically, with this sort of imagery, it is that. Traps, plagues, nightmares, arrows, darkness, destruction, stumbling around in the darkness with lions and cobras lurking about. That is a description of a of a collective place I don't want to be. But I would suggest symbolically and other ways, that is a picture of the dangers of life, the world in which we live. Through many dangers, toils and snares, you and me, we have already come. And it isn't over yet. It's over for all the people that are buried out there that you passed when you walked in here, it's still not lost on me, even though churches and now our home in the middle of a cemetery isn't a Midwest thing, I don't know. But having been here for 30 years, it's a great reminder. And when I walk back to the manse back here at night through that, I just think, man, these people were just like me, walking around, thinking thoughts, struggling with life. I hope they knew Jesus, you know? So what do we do? Well, Psalm 91 is very clear, another list. We are to dwell in him, trust him, stay with him, call out to him like a child would, a parent who just is upset and doesn't know what to do. And then verse 14. Verse 14 is just so powerful. Psalm 91, 14. Imagine God thinking this and saying this to you. And he is thinking this. And he is saying this to you. Because you love me, says the Lord, I will rescue you. You know what? Because you love me and you've expressed that to me, I will do whatever it takes I, would, I will take a bullet for you. I will rescue you. Because you know my name and you spend time with me, I will protect you. I will make sure, just like a good parent will with their child, 
I'll do anything to protect you. When you know God to the point of loving him, he is determined to move heaven and earth to keep you close to him. And he does that. And a final list of so many I wills. Here's what he promises to do. And again, do you take him at his word? This is God saying he will. I will deliver you. I will cover you. I will make sure no evil ever touches you. I will command my angels to guard you. I will protect you. I will rescue you. I will answer you when you call. I will honor you. That's an interesting one. I will be with you in times of trouble. I will satisfy you. That's another interesting one. With a long life. A long good life. And in the end, I will show you my salvation. A full reference to his son. That is quite a list. And in the end, Jesus wins. You know what I mean? The greatest evil, the worst thing that's ever happened, way, way worse than COVID-19 or anything else, is Good Friday, the death of God's son. The worst thing that's ever happened to you pales, as bad as it is, and it's bad, to that. And what does God do? He takes the worst thing that's ever happened in the history of humanity, and he transforms it into what? the most magnificent, greatest, wonderful thing that's ever happened in the history of humanity. So if he can do that, he can deliver, and he does, on these promises. In the end, Jesus wins. And so may our response be to dwell in him, trust him, stay with with him, call out to him. May we know his name, may we fall in love with him personally. And may we tell others. May we tell others. There are people this morning in your life that need to know that there is hope. That yeah, the world's dangerous. They don't need to know that. They know that. They need to know there's hope. The type that's leveled here throughout Scripture and in Psalm 91. A little over a year ago, uh, we had shut down. You remember that. We didn't have the tent yet. We were kind of on, we were online, but you know, we had really shut down. We had just come back from a high school retreat, which is next weekend. I'm pumped about that. We haven't done it for two years. We came back from that high school retreat, and then the whole world shut down. And we didn't see high school students, students in our ministry here again through the spring. So we bought this sign that they're going to pop up on the screen. I had seen this somewhere else. And we had a pile of these out on our porch, and salt leaders came and picked them up and put them on people's yards. And the reaction was awesome. Like, you drive around town and see that. And, you know, I mean, the missing, and you're a friend, and we're praying for you. But that, that 91 is greater than 19 had really become a thing. In fact, if you Google it, you'll see they still have jewelry. That Psalm 91... And the promises there are greater than the fears that came with a global pandemic. 91 is greater than 19. Listen, I was thinking about this this morning. Um, Tell somebody that today. Get a big piece of cardboard and write 
91 on it, or 91 is greater than 19, and stick it on the thing and say, if you want to know what that means on their lawn, call me. You know what I mean? Like, let's spread some hope that uh, there is no fear that God can't deal with. And may we hold that in our hearts and share it with those around us. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your promises. And we hold them. We hold you. We love you. And if there's one here among us that has drifted away from you or has never given their life over to you or just aren't sure, God, would you take them by the hand, take them on a journey into this spring. Help them know that you are good and trustworthy and that life that you have for us is good. Father, thank you for what you're doing. Jesus, thank you for rescuing us. And Holy Spirit, would you continue to advance your kingdom here and around the world in Christ's name. Amen.